I, I think that any you know forward-thinking company is taking a good good look at that, especially with all the recent attack statistics and the financial ramifications. I mean, just this year we're saying that ransom demands are increasing by 144% since uh, 2021. That you know the average payout in the U.S. is around six million dollars. You know, just considerable, considerable money. They're talking about ransomware as a service. And, and Microsoft's done a great job of keeping Active Directory up to date. It is very critical to an organization, but back when Active Directory released back in 2000, between the ADMT, the first release was in 2003, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, our biggest problems back then were denial of service attacks and maybe the occasional SQL worm. It's very, very different today. Mobile workforces, cloud applications, and digitalization are changing every aspect of the modern enterprise. And with radical transformation come new business risks. Welcome to Hybrid Identity Protection, the premier podcast for cybersecurity pros charged with defending hybrid identity environments. Presented by Semperis, the pioneers of identity-driven cyber resilience for the hybrid enterprise. And now, here's your host, 15-time Microsoft MVP and Active Directory security expert, Sean Duby. Hi everyone, this is Sean Doobie and the HIP Podcast. Within a few months, probably after Active Directory was released, some organizations started thinking about changing it around. Perhaps they had an acquisition or they had to divest a business unit, or they just realized they hadn't put their Active Directory together the way the business needed it. And this is how the process of Active Directory migration, in other words, moving users computers and applications from one domain or forest to another, was born. As a result, migration and the migration process has been around very nearly as long as Active Directory itself has been around. With the rise in cybercrime, though, migration has taken on new security implications and urgency that it hasn't had in the past. My guest today is Michael Mishuli, Semperus's Managing Director for Migration Products and Services. Michael is a highly experienced subject matter expert on the topic of Active Directory migration and consolidation. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, Sean. Happy to be here. Well, let's start with the basics. So can you begin by explaining at a high level what an Active Directory migration is? What's it all about? Absolutely. I mean, typically, an Active Directory migration really has a couple of distinct parts. The primary one being the copying of the user accounts between a source and target Active Directory. So you have a source forest, let's call it source.local, and then you have a target forest, let's call it target.local. And I have to enumerate all of my Active Directory objects that are in scope in that source environment. And I have to pick them up and write them as fresh objects in that target environment. And then I have to maintain a link between the two. That can include, you know, various bits and pieces of the user account, SID history, password synchronization, with or without group membership. And then the second part of that is what's going to make me use that target environment after that user account's created. And that can be an application in some cases. It can be a workstation migration. It can be a link up into Office 365. So, you know, with today's relatively more modern computing landscape it really can mean a lot of things because all migrations are a little bit different. What are the main scenarios or use cases where an organization would want to perform a migration? Uh, traditionally, we see them with mergers and acquisitions 
or sometimes the spinning off of or divestiture of a specific company or a business entity. And also we have a lot of organizations that have just have acquired technical debt over a period of many years. So they grow through acquisitions and they wake up one day. I had a call earlier today. We have one customer that's looking at doing an internal migration of 40 source environments to one target. And <laughs> yeah, it's just a function of them growing over the past decade or so and acquiring uh, a bunch of smaller entities and integrating them into their, into their business lines. So it is, uh, as you say, you're either acquiring Active Directory resources as part of a, 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 an acquisition or divesting, splitting off perhaps a forest or a, perhaps a domain. Or a segment of it, right, in some cases. Right, okay. And then maybe this is the broader use case of a, a consolidation or a cleanup or, as we like to say, a modernization. I think it's kind of funny to call uh, to call uh, uh, working with a 23-year-old product a modernization, but modernization of the environment that the product is in, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's a variety of things that drive modernization. Typically, when you do a consolidation, I find that the driver is really trying to lower the total cost of ownership of the entire environment, the care and feeding, the management of it, mm-hmm. and really hardening the security in today's day and age, right? It's a very different world than 2003 to say the least from a security aspect. Well, right. I'm I'm recalling talking to one organization that had seven major forests because they had taken seven, seven different organizations and consolidated in number one. And they had all sorts of operational challenges working with that. But really, I think what has specifically changed, as you alluded to, is the security aspects of it. Can you talk a little bit about the security aspects of um, many forests in the environment or neglected forests or simply old Active Directory environments that have been in production for literally decades and the need to make them better? I think it's pretty evident that if you have an environment that has, let's say it has 40 Active Directories, separate forests, what have you, You'll have two or three of those environments that are the ones that people are using primarily for everything. And the other ones are there for a variety of reasons. Maybe it's to support a legacy business unit, a legacy application, something of that nature. When was the last time that somebody took a look at that source environment and said, is this really still necessary? I mean, that would be the first question, right? Is this thing that we're working with something that can be jettisoned or let go of inside of the organization? Can we replace it at a relatively low cost and get it onto something that's more modern or into one of these target directories? Because as we all know, Active Directory and the user account um, really is is a huge, huge opportunity for a bad player or malicious actor to get in and really do some damage inside of the environment. When you have 40 source forests or 40 forests all flat with trust relationships built up between them potentially sit history being synchronized around for access to files or systems or legacy applications you really create some some less than how do you say secure configurations and that's something that you should really take a look at in order to keep your internal environment as pristine as possible I mean, I think it's really important that you understand and normalize to the best of your ability the security settings in all of those source environments. 
um, because best practices we know has changed considerably since 2003, certainly. Right. That's true. I find myself thinking about technical debt and inertia. Let's say you have this organization with 40 forests. Now that's a bit extreme, but let's let's say it's not it's very common to have between five and ten forests with one or two forests that are really the the core identity systems. You have the technical debt of the extra forests, but you also have the inertia of, well, it hasn't been a problem so far. <laughs> and 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 further weighted down by, well, what would it cost, both in terms of you know, financial cost and resource cost to change that from, and that this is the old school of thinking, of course, it's if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Uh, so it ain't broke and you want us to spend money and resources to continue it ain't being broke. Why do you think organizations put this off? Why do they put off something that potentially is important as this? Yeah, there's a variety of reasons and they run the gamut resource constraints, the complexity of the migration, right? It is resource intensive. It requires a high level of expertise. Uh, internal IT departments, they have competing priorities already, okay? And they're doing a lot of things for the organization. So to train somebody to learn migrations, it may not be all that feasible, especially if those migrations are done infrequently. Um, what you were talking to there, the whole, if it's not broke, don't fix it sort of attitude is really around risk aversion. And I understand that, but you also have to understand the risk of not doing it. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, so like back in 2017, there was the Verizon acquisition uh, where they where Verizon acquired Yahoo, okay? And then later they found a data breach, which affects billions of the Yahoo accounts. And that discrepancy, those discrepancies um, led to $350 million being knocked off of the purchase price of Yahoo prior, going, prior to it going over to Verizon. When you look at cases like that, you know, there's really a compelling argument there to spend the money up front and do the work proactively because it's always going to cost more reactively. So you're talking from a CISO point of view, the evaluation of risk. It's the risk of doing nothing versus the risk of making it that much easier for a threat actor to compromise the environment or in the M&A case that you're describing to financially affect the, the, the M&A process, or even, I suppose, potentially could torpedo it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it can definitely affect the security, I think, can directly affect the viability of the newly former acquiring entity. This has been around, I mean, the, as I said, migration has been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, but, and having spent many years in operations, it, there's been a demand for, hey, you know, we really need to do this for quite a while, whether it's you need to decommission a, a domain in a forest that was never really used as intended or whether it's extra forest or what have you. But it was hard getting the money to do that because it's the old, like I said, it, it ain't broke, don't fix it. Do you feel that this is changing at all? Do you see this changing at all as a result of these security considerations? Is the C-suite, or, or, or do you feel that the... Uh, Purse strings may be loosened a little bit as a result of the C-suite looking at risk evaluation? I think so. I, I think that any you know forward-thinking company is taking a good, good look at that, especially with all the recent attack statistics and the financial ramifications. 
I mean, just this year we're saying that ransom demands are increasing by 144% since uh, 2021. That, you know, the average payout in the U.S. is around $6 million. You know, just considerable, considerable money. They're talking about ransomware as a service. And, you know, and Microsoft's done a great job of keeping Active Directory up to date. It is very critical to an organization. But back when Active Directory released back in 2000, you know, between the ADMT, the first release was in 2003, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, our biggest problems back then were denial of service attacks and maybe the occasional SQL worm. It's very, very different today. Right. That's true. So as you say, it's very, very different today. How would you say the approach to Active Directory migration evolved in recent years? The nuts and bolts of the migration are what they are. There have been some changes as a result of client operating system mm -hmm. architecture changes. and But by and large, the nuts and bolts are the same. But how does the approach change as a result of paying attention to security now? Well, I mean, similar to the Microsoft best practices evolving over time, right? Where when we started, we were talking about isolated resource environments for exchange in trusted forests, so exchange resource environments and empty forest routes. And then later on, we said we need to collapse all those because we're doing this neat new thing called federation and we need um, consolidated and concatenated namespaces to be able to accomplish that. Uh, you got to go back to however migration is traditionally done with things like password synchronization, GPO migration, and SID history, uh, and ask that question in trust relationship too, and say things, you know, do I really need these features? These features do, you know, they ease some pain in coexistence, and it makes a lot of sense to do them. But if we're doing them, are we doing them to, to respond to a definite business and technical requirement? And then can I limit the window that those things are available if they're needed at all? Or can I emit them entirely and go for a more secure migration approach? That is the aspect that has come in now is let's look at the security. Let's look at the security of the forest that we're considering acquiring or whose resources we're looking at consolidating in because you're potentially in introducing vulnerabilities into your target forest, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I have to understand it at the very minimum. I'm being conscientious. I have to understand or try to normalize to the best of my ability, the security posture of the environment when I establish connectivity to it. What's a good way to evaluate the security configuration of your source forest before before you begin all of this to sort of do a due diligence on it. Yeah, absolutely. And traditionally, it would be a consulting engagement, right? And you would go in and you would dump a bunch of information from Active Directory, have a considerable amount of meetings with business stakeholders to understand why some configurations are there, and then you would have that that conversation around potential, you know, remediation or mitigation of things to get them to an acceptable level uh, prior to establishing that con connectivity. Mm -hmm. Or you would say, hey, you know what, this looks as good as the target, so let's bring it over. Uh, fortunately, today we have tools that are available to us that help us do that and that can help us do that in a fraction of the time that it used to. Right. Uh, so, for example, uh, we have a, our free Purple Night product to to run a snapshot 
of the the vulnerabilities in any Active Directory you want to look at and completely free, which could be a lifesaver if you're doing if you're doing an acquisition and you discover you all you very quickly know what kind of a mess you're looking at. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And if you even go, you know, and you you go ahead and you and you get the directory services protector which is the paid for version of Purple Night, you now have the ability to monitor for changes inside of those source environments and that target environment. So you actually get a line of sight into what's happening inside of those directories as they're happening, which can be extremely useful in diagnosing you know, potential intrusion events or things that are occurring that, that were unanticipated, uh, but also into migration processes. Right. Certainly one aspect of this, of, of incorporating security into the migration process as opposed to simply moving them and nothing breaking, mm-hmm. is to evaluate in your source forest the applications and the configuration of your applications, for example, Kerberos delegation, mm-hmm. and look at it and say, well, just because it's configured insecurely here doesn't mean we're going to pick it up lock, stock, and barrel and move it insecurely to our target forest. Um, but I think one of the challenges that we're experiencing now is that Active Directory has been around so long, you have administ- forest administrators that don't know why it is the way it is, and they're afraid to touch it. That's a big issue, Sean. It's really a good thing to talk about for a minute. And that's why, I mean, really, when you do these discoveries inside of these source environments, you want to understand the reasoning to the best of your ability why something's there. It's it's a delicate line because you don't necessarily want to invest the customer's time or money uh, in understanding something that may or may not benefit them. Uh, at the same time, there was a reason that decisions were made. It's difficult when we look at things that we think are configured incorrectly or not optimally to actually take a step back and say, hey, you know what? When they put this together, there was a reason for it. And if I understand what that reason is, and I can determine whether or not it's still valid, I can you know, help steer away from a potential pitfall at a later date. Right. I mean, there, there was a reason. It, it could have been a bad reason, like I was in a hurry. And that's why I've added server operators to that service account, because I got it working. Well, since we're talking about the preparation aspects of it, how do you evaluate? I know you, you've emphasized the need for discovery. What kind of timelines are we looking at for this or a resource load to actually, and I know it it varies wide, widely and you've been a consultant and I've been a consultant, so we'll both just say it depends <laughs> up front. But can you give any, to to the listener that is perhaps looking at multiple forests and they're like, you know, I really need to do this, but I'm not sure how to start or how to gauge the resourcing involved. Do you have any thoughts on how to help with that? Absolutely. And it depends, you know, it always depends on the level of involvement. Um, and there's really, with any project, you, you go through a couple of distinct phases. There's the project implementation phases, but they essentially align to crawl, walk, run, if mm. you will. Um so yes, you discover, you define what you're intending on doing based on your output from the discovery. You make sure that you enumerate all of your business and technical constraints along the way. You get the buy-in of the stakeholders. You examine any technical trade-offs um, you know, inside of that. And then you go ahead after definition and you build something, right? 
whether that's the configuration for the migration tool or the um, target greenfield environment or what have you. Uh, then you run your test migrations. You make sure that those objects land in the way that you expected them to land. You migrate whatever it is that you're intending on migrating or publish the application to the target and test all of the various functionalities of that. And then you're in you know, a ready and run state. So you get through the ready state, you're in a run state, and then it's essentially making sausages, turning a crank. Yeah, absolutely. Now, to get to that point in a, in a typically complex environment, when I say typically complex environment, maybe two source environments, um, the user count doesn't necessarily matter. The customization to the Active Directory environment matters and the complication of the deployment mechanisms or any customizations to the workstations is typically where you find the majority of the issues that plague you because they lead to direct visibility issues potentially that affect end users, right? Those are the things that really, you know, suck your time up. But usually you can do it with two source environments to get to a decent run state uh, inside of two to three weeks. Uh, and then with one source environment, one, one to two weeks of consulting with a migration expert. And that's somebody who has 10 plus years of, of experience doing migrations. Emphasizes the need for experience. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Where do you find that these migration projects often stall out? Uh, because we've all, not we've all, but many of us have been involved in these things and we see how they get started and then we see how they just kind of wither on the vine and, and, mm -hmm. and seize up part way. Yeah. Again, there's a variety of reasons for it. Um, I've seen in some cases uh, where you lose the executive support or the executive sponsorship of the engagement for whatever reason. And I've ran into that firsthand in some companies. Maybe there's a change in CIO, um, something of that nature. And suddenly it's not as critical as an engagement as it originally was, which is weird. It's not typical because migration also has a, a built-in compelling event. Usually there's a business directive that says by X date, we need to have this level of functionality, which is directly related to the migration. Um, that's one thing that I see. I see a lot of things stall uh, in between define and delivery, meaning that they, they've come up with what they think is going to work. They go ahead and they get it into a, a POC of some sort inside of a construct phase. And, you know, they get 90% of the way there and there's a lingering 10%, which is a mission critical functionality uh, and they run into an issue and then they, and then they stop and it, and it just has a tendency to sit there. Um, and I've come in on a few of those and been able to, you know, do things that incrementally push it to completion. That's primarily the, the two that I've seen historically. And the latter is the one that leaves the security vulnerability as well, right? Because of the trusts and the SID history. Yeah, and what you find in these 40 plus user environments is that they're in extended coexistence. So there's been uh, an effort to remove the dependency on that source environment. And now you're looking at it maybe a decade later and you're saying, geez, I wonder if the dependency is truly removed. So how can I go ahead and remove the dependency on that in a very real way, but at the same time um, give myself the ability to turn that legacy environment back on 
or have some recoverability of that environment in case something happens that I'm not anticipating based on my due diligence. What we IT pros would call the scream test, right? Because turn it off and see who screams. Yeah. But even then, Sean, I mean, you've been doing this for years. I've been doing it for years. You know, even with the scream test, sometimes you shut it off and you may leave it sitting there off for 90 days. As soon as you do something with that hardware, suddenly people come out of the woodwork. <laughs> That's true. Uh, let's take, let's do something irreversible and then it will definitely show up. Yeah. So it's important to have some sort of a mechanism to archive, right? To archive that configuration, to back that configuration up to maybe you know put it aside that was one thing that i used to do a lot with removable drives i would just get a snapshot of something throw it on a removable drive and just throw it in the it safe right and if something like that happened later on i had it and i could turn it back on can you discuss some of the tools and technologies that are needed for a successful migration what's out there and what's you know recommendations and all that absolutely you definitely have to understand what's happening in that source environment. So anything that you can do to expedite your discovery. Again, we used to do discovery periods that were a week or two per source environment, right? With messaging on top of it a little bit more, with added complexities and and, and other, you know, various current things at the time, Microsoft technologies, maybe another week uh, per source environment. So you can cut down on that significantly now. those methods are are pretty well known and there's some accelerators and things available to you that that can help you do that very quickly. Um, Like uh, like, uh, Purple Knight and Directory Services Protector. Um, Definitely, definitely. Um, So get get good forest backups, right? So be sure that you can recover anything that you do do prior to change. Uh, Make sure that you have monitoring in place uh, with something like DSP. And DSP also gives you the ability to go back and um, potentially restore attributes, which is just phenomenal when you talk about removing dependencies. So when you think about that, um, you know, you reackle everything, you remove that that dependency on legacy SID history, you have that account in the target with the SID history. Uh, later on, you're cleaning it up at the end of the migration process, and you do get a screaming user ticket or phone call, uh, you can now very quickly restore that SID history uh, in, in a really frictionless way. It's it's a couple of clicks, right? And that makes that very, very easy. Um, understand and map your privileged access accounts. Again, functionality that you can get out of our Forest Druid tool. Um, use a best of read migration product, one that can be deployed quickly, that can connect to those sources and targets securely. Um, that gives you the ability to do some additional discovery of those workstation and member server objects inside of the, the utility itself. Um, that's around the technology that's available to you largely. So what steps do you think that CISOs from the CISO level or the practitioners should be taking now, even as they're maybe they're listening to this and they're going, wow, you know, I really do need to evaluate my environment and look at a way of collapsing it down, either migrating it into a single forest or maybe standing up a new forest that's clean, that doesn't have decades of production, um, what I call hasty decisions, hurried choices behind it. What steps do you think that they should practitioners and leaders should take to get ready for this? 
Yeah, I think it's primarily risk management, right? Um, so that said, it's careful planning, security assessments, robust change management with artifacts and bits along the way so that you can retrace steps if needed, right? And then there's other things that you can do inside of the directory itself uh, to help you when you migrate. I mean, if you want to do a truly secure migration, you're talking about a migration in the absence of GPO migration, in the absence of trust, in the absence of password, and in the absence of sadistry. Uh, you have to understand what that means to you from a technical constraint and potential trade-off in rich coexistence, right? So definitely understand that um, and answer every each one of those functionality questions very deliberately and make sure that you write down your intentions there. So in case um, any of those constraints or requirements change, um, you can quickly revert or bring into scope uh, those those specific bits of functionality. In, in addition to that, there's always prerequisite stuff that you can do inside of the directory, updating your passwords, um, you know, making sure that you have a tier zero uh, critical access group, right, before migration. Um, right. All of the KISS method, you know. Uh, so all of those sorts of things too. But definitely approach it with the mindset that every decision that you make should be incrementally pushing you towards that target environment. And that's how you can really seize on that inertia and keep it moving forward. Well, thank you, Michael. I think this was a very enlightening discussion, at least for me, to dive into this topic that most AD professionals have been around their whole career, but they don't necessarily spend a lot of time on the details that you have uh, that you've brought out here so thanks very much for your time today thank you for having me sean thanks for joining us on the hybrid identity protection podcast with sean Duby. be sure to subscribe at apple podcasts spotify or wherever you like to listen visit hipconf.com that's H-I-P-C-O-N-F.com to learn about upcoming events, view expert presentations, and take part in the conversation.